Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. Hey, we heard you like Ranger, so we put some more Ranger in your Ranger. Hey, thanks Jeremy. That's right. We're looking at the newly released D&D playtest material, which is going to be focusing on the expert class group. And then we're going to rank the 10 best games that we have in our own board game collection. You know, that we've actually played. Lastly, we'll finish up with our crowdfunding roundup, including a game of Sinking Dilemma. All that and more on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. You know, sometimes you don't even need an opener. Um, And that's what we're learning here. Especially when you've got stuff to talk about and you just don't know how to dive into it. Well, Podcasting 101, we're just going in like both feet. Because when the podcast doesn't work out, we're going to make a How to Podcast series. <laughs> we're going to find an audience somewhere, damn it. There's a couple of big things going on this weekend uh, that I figure that most of our listeners in our community would be into. Uh, let's start closer to home, New York Comic Con. Yeah, uh, our big East Coast Comic Con happening this weekend Yep, um, as we're recording. So that is... Something that I really want to go to eventually, uh, one one big one, either this one, maybe uh, Emerald City out in Seattle, that would be fun. Um, San Diego, possibly, but oh god, San Diego is so big. I, I bet that one's crazy. Like, I mean, we got a we got a packs of plug. We're like, oh my god, there's so many people here. Like, we went to, to an actual con. <laughs> I need to take like a vacation from the vacation. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, but yeah, New York Comic Con, um, traditionally kind of the big East Coast Comic Con, so it's got everything, right? We're talking movies, we're talking video games, we're talking books, uh, games. Really awesome cosplay. Y'all right, the shows. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, our, our Critical Role has done live play there before. Um, the guest list of people that were going to show up was a veritable who's who of you know, geek culture. There's, I mean, if you read through the list, there's like world famous like cosplayers that are showing up, authors, authors, tons of artists yeah. from either the comic book or the uh, you know animation genre, voice actors that are there. It, it's huge. Yeah. It's getting to be. It is getting to be as big as San Diego easily. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think it's as far as I can remember off the top of my head. I think it. I mean, it's really only the huge big comic-con we have on this side of the yeah country. yeah i mean we've got tons of them up and down the coast right. for sure but i think this one is kind of like our like our crown jewel how san diego's is for yeah. the west coast yeah. um, well i guess i guess now it's international comic-con because they've gotten that big so yeah because we got we got little old hampton comic-con coming up next weekend <laughs> which we uh we applied for a podcast booth and apparently we were put on the waiting list. So if I walk in there and it's like last year where there's all these open booths, we just may bring a backpack of stuff and set up and be like, <laughs> they told us it was cool. Oh, what are so they going to do? Ban us from Hampton <laughs> Comic-Con? Great. We're definitely not getting it next year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's definitely something I would love to do. I mean, we, of course, PAX is always on our schedule. 
Uh, we, Gen Con's probably the next one we're going to try and work yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's the big one for next year that we uh, need to hit. Yeah, but I, I would like a a once once upon a time trip to one of the large Comic Cons because I mean it's just an experience. I need somebody that'll give me money for me not doing a lot, like a lot of money for me not doing much. I like, mean, it'd be cool if we could get money to go to Comic Cons, right? Like we should start a business. We're working <laughs> on it, or sell feed pigs. I'm not sure if it works that way. <laughs> do what you got to do. The hustle is real. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the other big convention going on this weekend in the board gaming world is Essenspiel in Germany. Essen, Germany. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff that people are talking about. New games and things going to be shown off there. Games that people have been hoping to see. Um, we don't have a lot of news yet because we're recording here on Thursday, the day it just started. So we'll see what kind of comes out of it. Probably in the next episode, we'll go over some of the highlights. Right. Um, there's some cool stuff coming out already. Um, I see if you've ever played the game uh, King of Tokyo or King of New York, they have a new version coming out that's cooperative called King of Monster Island. It's supposed to be like a really fancy little volcano in the middle you can roll dice in and stuff. So um, for those of you who don't know, that is by creator Richard Garfield, who was co-creator of Magic the Gathering. So just a little. So he's got his his pedigree in gaming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. This is. The King of Tokyo, King of New York games are real fun dice chuckers. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. They're fantastic little games. So I, I hope this one's really cool because I, I have a special place in my heart for co-op games. So let me ask this. Um, from a gaming kind of standpoint, how is Essence Field different from, say, Gen Con? Um, Having not been to Gen Con, well, let's compare it to PAX, right? So PAX is it's obviously bigger. Yeah, so... This is like one of the big conventions where if you're a game designer, especially a European game designer, you want your game shown at this. Right. That was kind of my impression is because we do know that Euro games and American games, there's there can be a distinction um, in how they play and their mechanics, what mechanics they use. Yeah, but I mean, it's not really like a Euro games only thing. It's yeah. still a broad, broad stroke board games convention. Right. Um, it's just this one happens to be located in, in Germany. Germany. Yeah. So I, it's still one of the big conventions that like you want to be at if, you know, especially if your game is planning on being released late in the year. Right. This is the one you want to be at. Got for it. sure. Got it. Yeah, I didn't know if there was going to be enough Ameritrash to keep me entertained. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Okay, like, cool. All right, good. <laughs> it's definitely its its own genre now, in, in which there's there's plenty of like newer games coming out. Like it's it's crazy now, kind of the way the the board game industry has kind of evolved with like the implementation of Kickstarter. Because there's a lot of games that people are like, man, I'm really excited to play this, that were Kickstarter games like a year and a half ago. Right, right. That are just now like coming out of production where people can get their hands on them. Yeah. So people are showing up at these conventions with their games that, although they were funded, you know, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Like Heroes of Arcadia? It's still a sore spot. Too soon? <laughs> they said it should ship by mid-October. I'm just saying, if we get Marvel zombies before we get Heroes of Arcadia, I'm going to be a little confused <laughs> but anyway we're, we're we're still hopeful um but yeah so that's happening so hopefully next episode we'll be talking about some of the highlights coming out of that um so yeah let's talk about the next big thing that is hit the the new drop of the new one dnd playtest material right so it is released on the uh dnd beyond uh website 
you can download your copy of the PDF there. And this is, uh, I guess it's, I guess it's being released as Unearthed Arcana. So yeah. it is playtest material. First one came out. I was talking with somebody else who plays, and one of the things that they said to me was just, you know, well, I don't like that. I don't like this. And I don't like that. And I was like, you haven't played it yet. This is playtest yeah. material. We can all have our opinions on it, but you sure. need to put it in a game and see how it fits. Yeah. Um, I'm not real sure how to do that with you know completely because some of this stuff feels like it's going to be. Um, I, I don't know how how balanced it's going to be in a current fifth edition game, right? Because they only what they released this time around is they did make some changes into the just general rules. Right. They uh, released all of the spell lists. They're the arcane, the primal, and the divine. So they divided the spells up into three areas, which I I think is kind of a callback to some older editions, and I'm good with that. Um, they also released three. Of the classes with one subclass each, right? Yep. So they released the Bard with the College of Lore. They released the Ranger with the Hunter uh, subclass. And they released the Rogue with a Thief subclass. subclass. Yep. So uh, they have the classes divided up um, into groups. I like this, though. Yeah, this is considered the Experts group, which I think it's fantastic. The fact that, to me, it feels kind of like the Bards didn't have a group. So they were kind of like, uh, they're kind of experts, but I see they're going off the expertise mechanic. Right. Because the three, the three in this category get that mechanic. So I get it, <laughs> but I just <laughs> picturing a bard as an expert just cracks me up because to me, I've always viewed them as like a utility character. Oh, yeah. There's so many ways you can build a bard. Sure. They were the, they were the Swiss army knife of the yeah. fifth edition. Yeah, like yeah. if you weren't sure what you wanted to do, but you wanted to do things the bard was a solid choice because yeah. at some point you can decide which way you want to go. Especially when the expanded subclasses came out. Mm -hmm. um, what was that in Xanathar's and you got like college of swords and stuff like that. And you could actually be like a melee bard. Sure. And, yeah. 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 You want to do melee. You want to be tanky. You want to put the rogue out of business. Yeah. There's a college for that. <laughs> yeah. You want to be Ziggy Starscream? We got one for <laughs> you, baby. You, you want to be a silver tongue devil? Yeah, covered. Yeah, they're like the bard was just, and whatever they did, they did well. And then, thanks to expertise, which was a bard thing, yeah, the thing that they did well, they did incredibly well. Yeah, and you know, it still kind of holds true to that. I think with the changes. Um, so the four classes that you're going to see, this is the first one, which is the experts: the bard, the ranger, and the rogue. And like you said, it really is based off of the expertise feature, which I know ranger gets twice. So you get up to four of your skills where you have expertise in them. Yeah. Then there's the mages category, which is the sorcerer, warlock, and wizard. The priests, which are the cleric, the druid, the paladin, and warriors will be the barbarian, the fighter, and the monk. And your class group now can determine a lot of things as far as what sort of magic list you have access to. And um, some of the feats require you to be part of a certain group. So, um, okay, interesting change. I'll roll with it. And we got our hands on the first three. Yeah. Um, so there's some pretty interesting stuff. We don't want to spend a crazy amount of time going through it because there are a lot of kind of small changes to them. Um, I mean, if we want to hit some of the highlights, I think one of my favorite is the um, the bard feature that lets you use bardic inspiration as a heal instead of just a um, 
addition to a d20 test. Right. The things that I really like about that is that Bardic Inspiration now is a reaction instead of a bonus action. And it looks like what they've done in these in the expert group here, they've tried to free up a lot of your bonus actions so that you can keep using them. Because that was a problem, I know, as someone who enjoyed playing Rangers, no matter what people said, the bonus action economy was something you really had to consider. Because you had a lot of spells that were great to cast, but if you were, especially if you were a two-weapon ranger, that, and rogues dealt with the same problem, that extra attack to the bonus action. Yeah, so that was one of the big things, the big changes, was the change to the light weapon property um, of a weapon. So... Uh, in 5th edition, as we have it now, before the playtest material, if you had weapons that were light weapons, you could dual wield them, but the second attack, or the attack with your offhand weapon, would require your bonus action. So, um, the problem came in with, as a ranger, if you wanted to, say, cast Hunter's Mark on something, that is a bonus action. So, if you did that, you could only make one attack, which basically means you're, you know, waving your other sword around for an entire turn, not doing anything with it. So by changing the properties like they have now, when you are wielding light weapons, you take the attack action, you get that offhand attack as part of the attack action. Right. And you can do that once per turn. Yep. So you're still only getting the one extra attack, but it's not eating up your bonus action. Yep. Which as someone who has played a ranger into some higher levels, that is huge for us. I can't tell you how many times it's like, well, I got three things I can do with my bonus action in this first round. What is going to be most effective? Like, you've actually got to do the math in your head and figure out what you're going to do. This removes that problem, and I can move on to actually doing damage with my bonus action or casting Hunter's Mark, which uh, they've changed Hunter's Mark as well. Uh, For Rangers now, you don't have to concentrate on it once you cast it. That is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, So let's finish up with Bard, see if there's anything. Like, one of the big moves that they're making here is also a lot of things that used to be... Um, like class features are moving into feats. Yeah. Um, things that like fighting styles that used to be something you would just pick up as part of your class. Now there's a specific feat for fighting styles. Um, each one has its own. It's called a fighting style feat. They don't right. hide anything in the name. Um, but it makes it 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 kind of takes things that were scattered throughout and brings them in one central location. Yes. There's not a crazy ton of changes with those type of things, with the fighting style feats. Right. There's a few changes here and there, but I think that's going to make it a lot easier for newer players. Because as we've discovered doing these learn-to-play games, when you're building these characters, it's like, okay, so you got to go here, here, and six other places just to find everything that you need for your character. Right. Uh, one of the things I do like about the new feats as they've come out is in the current version of fifth edition when you get to like i think it's like level four for every class you have the option to do uh take a feat or uh which is an optional rule of course or you have two points to distribute to into your stats right with a lot of these new feats one of the things that it does is it automatically gives you one point to add to whatever stat is going to be affecting that feat right yeah so if you take a fighting style feat or something it gives you one point either strength or dex so you're not having to make that decision either, where it's like, mm, do I go this way or do I go this way? And I think it's going to be better making characters. My my idea of characters is you're heroic, yeah. right? You're not average dudes. The average people that try to go adventuring are the ones you find bodies of later on, <laughs> right? So you're exceptional. I, yeah. I think that's what makes the heroes. For some reason, you're exceptional. Um, and I think you kind of see that in the stats. So getting to build your stats as well as taking feeds, I think is huge. And I really like that idea. 
character progression. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Bard is pretty good. Another thing that they do is in each spell level, they give you uh, suggested spells, which yeah. I think is great for new players because I mean, I've seen their eyes glaze over when you hand them. Well, here's the list of spells you can use. Yeah. And I I think also by grouping them into the um, like three different types of Mm -hmm. spell list, it's it's narrowed that down. Because if anybody flipped to the back of the player's handbook and saw there's a spell list for every single class. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So this helps with that. I think with new players, the suggested spells are great because when you give a new player. All right. So this is your first character. You have not even played with them for 30 minutes. You decided to choose a spellcaster. Here's a list of the you know twenty five first level spells that you can uh, choose from. Yeah. Um, as as a player who has never played D anD D, you don't know what's good. You don't know what's bad. You don't know what you could possibly need. You don't or... even know what most of them do. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, yeah. So I, I think that's uh, yeah another good change uh, moving forward with it. One of the other things that they did is now. All of the abilities, which used to be capstone abilities for the different classes, you would get at level 20. You now get at level 18. Yeah. And at level 20, you gain an epic boon. Um, it, it'll give you one, uh, like level 20 for the bard. It says that you get the epic boon of luck feat or another epic boon feat of your choice. Again, changing everything over to feats. So you get to dig in there and make a little bit of selection. Yeah, and the epic boons are interesting. I was looking at some of them. Some of them are... I, I don't think I would ever choose them because once you're at level 20, you probably don't ever need it. Right. Um, but some of them are, are pretty pretty ridiculous. Um, there was one, uh, the epic boon of fortitude. Uh, so you, it says your hit point maximum is increased by 40. That's awesome. Um, in addition, whenever you regain hit points, you regain additional hit points equal to your constitution modifier. That's pretty cool. Um, and you can regain these additional hit points no more than once per round. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, normally, it's like a once more per short rest. So that one, that one was pretty cool. Um, there was another one. Oh, the Epic Boon of Recovery. Um, you can use a bonus action to regain the number of hit points equal to half your hit point maximum. Now, keep in mind, this is a 20th level feat. So, by 20th level, I've never played a 20th level character, so... You're you're probably... I mean, you can get up there, but I mean, you're looking at, a, I would say, minimum... Minimum... 180 hit points that's what i i mean i would think probably somewhere around there like give or take um so you're talking about for a bonus action you can regain 90 hit points <laughs> just because yeah just um because. now you can only use this every long rest so you know that makes sense um but the second part is the best part in addition you succeed on every death saving throw that isn't a roll of one <laughs> yeah <laughs> Like, the only way you die is if somebody just flat out, like, finger of deaths you or causes massive trauma. Yeah, so, but I pictured the barbarian, right? The one that can get up anyway. Yeah. Like, let's even, let's make it funnier. Let's go half work. Um, so that way you still get the, the, what, the first time you drop to zero, you get back up anyway. Yeah. Like, this screams barbarian tank feet. Yeah, like, right? Yeah. Make, and go ahead and take the, uh, what is it, the, the path, uh, 
Oh, what's the primal path? It's been so long since I played it. Uh, the path of the totem. Oh yeah, the one that has all incoming. Da- yeah, yeah, sure. Like <laughs> he's up there, like choking the dragon out, <laughs> and it's old <laughs> because you know he he's a grappler. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting, and and what, and again, like I said, this is all playtest material, but in my head, um, because I mean, it's hard. I think it's hard to kill a party in fifth edition, um. Without going completely overboard, right? Like, so if you're if you're putting them up against challenges that are within, even if they're dangerous, but within their skill level, it's hard to kill everybody. Yeah, it feels like there's a line in fifth edition um, where either you give them a challenging thing, but they're like, there's no real chance of them dying, right? Or like to go just a half step above that, you. They're just dead. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. It, it, it's a thin line. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping with this upcoming, with maybe what they're designing in 6th edition, um, they make that feel a little more uh, dangerous. Because I, as a player, like, I enjoy a challenge where we could have died. Yeah. And there's not a lot of that in 5th edition. Yeah, and I don't... Do the... Because it's tough, because there are things out there, it's like a, a, a save or suck kind of thing. Like, yeah. And... Those don't feel as good. I I think I I'm hoping more for something that can build the tension in it yeah. without the just outright like you're dead. Yeah, right. Um. Okay. So let's look at a couple other things before we go. Uh, one of the big things that I did enjoy is that um favorite enemy is not racist anymore. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, after the uh, <laughs> the last books that we had come out, do better. Just do better. <laughs> Um, yeah, favorite enemy used to be you, there was a type of enemy that you were able to track and do more damage against and blah, blah, blah. And you had to pick a type of enemy. Um, I know in the playtest one that they did try, it kind of broadened it, but like yeah, it you could like, pick, it was like humanoids yeah. or like, yeah, still, which that one is just, I understand how annoying that is. Now favorite enemy is, um, you're just kind of focusing on a single foe. So I don't have to have a favorite enemy from birth. You know, orcs burnt my village and I hate them. No, it's cool. Like, I can be, I can just be doing my ranger thing and this dude pissed me off in a bar and now I'm going to hand him his ass. So now he's my favorite enemy. Yeah. You're adept at focusing your ire on a single foe. You always have the hunter's mark spell prepared, which is awesome. So you don't have to put that in your list of spells. Um, it doesn't count against the number of spells you can prepare. Moreover, you don't have to concentrate on the spell once you cast it. It lasts... It's full duration, and or until you end it as a bonus action, or you're incapacitated. So that's really cool. So you just have Hunter's Mark ready. You can cast it, which will still cast, cost a spell slot, but you don't have to prep it. And then you don't have to concentrate on it. I hate that as a ranger. Because you know you're in the front line somewhere, especially if you're a two-weapon ranger. Yeah. So you're going to be making concentration checks, and a lot of us didn't take Warcaster. Yeah, a lot of it felt like they built Ranger to be a ranged like they took yes. the range of ranger and they were like, "Oh, that's how they should be." Uh, yeah. You have the most famous ranger ever, that dark-skinned, white-haired guy that keeps running around with his elfy ears, and you didn't think to put two up and fighting in there? <laughs> it's like it's an afterthought for a player, and I've seen so many players try to rebuild Driskjorden. Oh yeah, you know, and except it, they try to get around the sunlight sensitivity part of it. We'll see how that comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I mean, yeah, but uh, I think the melee part of 
ranger is definitely a big part of them sure and because then it that's part of the complaint about the 5e ranger was if you make them range they're just you're a better range combat if you just go with fighter uh, yeah 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 you don't get enough good things or you didn't get enough good things from ranger to make it worth it but and i think with a lot of the changes that they've made here this and again putting them in that ex again putting them in that expert category you're you are a frontline fighter still you are contributing in combat but that's not what you're here for yeah you know there's a lot of things the spell uh changing how the spells work where you don't have to pick your spells but instead you can prepare them much like a cleric every morning uh get up pick the spells that you want to use that day uh including cantrips i was gonna say that that just came out um that came out with it as well you can change your cantrips and not like once a level like they kind of have experimented with um tasha's i think is they changed it yes where you could yeah that was some of the stuff that came out as optional rules and I think it was called um, some. It was like uh, arcane versatility or something, yeah. where you could change them out at at level. Well, now you can do it with a long rest, which I think is fantastic because there are a lot of really cool cantrips out there. And unless you're a warlock, you didn't want to lock yourself into one cantrip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, at eleventh level, you get tireless primal forces now fuel you on your journey. Here's your following benefits. Whenever you finish a short or long rest, you give yourself temporary hit points equal to a D8 plus your proficiency bonus. Um, then they go tie in a lot of stuff back to the proficiency bonus for Rangers. Um, and if you're exhausted, when you finish a short rest, you can drop one of the levels. Because uh, that's, if you get two or three levels of exhaustion, you're talking about three days to overcome it without some kind of spells. So that's kind of nice. You just take a couple of short naps during the day and I'm good by the end. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of really cool changes that are happening with this. Um, the rogue actually though didn't get a lot of the rogue. First of all, uh, I was listening. I was watching the uh, Todd Kendrick and Jeremy Crawford talk about this, and he said that when they did their surveys about classes, the rogue came back with like ninety five percent approval. Like the current rogue, yeah. Like everybody that plays rogues loves rogues, right? It's really the dark and mysterious backstory. That's what it is. <laughs> Nobody likes having parents. Just play a rogue, because um, they're always orphans. Yeah, uh, like the satisfactory with the class, like Rogue was like in the high 90s as far as what players think. So they didn't change a lot. They just kind of refined it. Yeah, uh, the big thing is sneak attack, because if you have ever Googled sneak attack, you will find 80,000 hits on how does sneak attack actually work. So one thing they did was clarify the language on that, which is fantastic. That's something that really needed to be done. I, I really like the way actually across the board that they've done that in this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they've really gone back and revisited like the way that the rules are written so that they are more clear. Yes. Um, because I, I guess maybe Jeremy's tired of answering rules questions on Twitter. Dude, having to run the sage advice Twitter has to be just mind meltingly painful some weeks. <laughs> you can tell when he's fed up when somebody asks this long question. He goes. Player's Handbook, page 162. You know? Yeah. It's just like, that's all you get. (laughs) Uh, I don't... I've never actually played a Thief subclass rogue. I think I've only ever played one rogue anyway. So, uh, to me, the Thief subclass always got kind of outshined. Like, Assassin was the big one everyone went for. Yeah. Because they always hoped for that big, like, assassination hit. And uh, the ways you had to set that up 
Like it was like you had to know three people who could <laughs> smuggle you in the back alley, and then one of them had to be a decoy and go in the front so that you could get in the back. Also, the room could only be dimly lit so you would not be seen. Like it feels like they made <laughs> they made a lot of hurdles for you to jump through. So that one, or uh, what was the other one that I always like? Swashbuckler was always fun. Yeah, Swashbuckler was cool when that one came out. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I haven't seen a lot of those either. The Mastermind was one I always wanted to play. And I always try to talk people into playing um, because I just feel like it, it's a it's in a game you need to be have a lot of role play and like intrigue. Yeah, like yeah. that's where that one really shines less less in combat. Um, but yeah, I always pictured, especially like an urban setting like Ravnica. Yeah, that'd be the perfect place yeah, for I it. I feel like the Mastermind Rogue would really fit in there. But anyway, back to uh, back to the new stuff. Um, so again, all of this is playtest material. Um, one thing that I want to make sure, like I was telling, uh, you know, other people, play test it, get a group together, try it out, see how it actually balances with what we're playing right now, and then report your findings back. That's a big yeah. part of this play test material for us to get the best next version. Is you go back to the website, which is the Indie Beyond's website, and you can submit your what's your thoughts, uh, just kind of on the play test material, so that they can process that get feedback they've already done it with the first one that dropped uh i believe that just closed uh the ability yeah um, i'd have to check the website but yeah, if you're going to go do this anyway check the website and see um but yeah it's all out there it's uh trying to build the best next version that we can so i encourage you to check it out and then to report it back and um we'll see how this goes So today we're going to talk board games, specifically our favorite board games that we have played in our own personal collection. I saw a couple of these kind of articles coming out, um, and I don't know if it's just the time of year, kind of, we're getting to the end of the year, and people are like, here are the top 10 games that I have, or what are your favorite top 10 games? So we decided we're going to do it too. Why? Because it was fun, and it's an easy segment for us. <laughs> I might take that part out. Yeah, so a lot of people do, I, I know Dice Tower is famous for their top 100 games of all time, Yeah, uh, which I think is a hilarious name because they change it every year, so... <laughs> um but it's like top 100 games of all time for this year so um and a lot of other people have done it um you see you can go on youtube and find mm -hmm. other people's i uh, they they range from top 100s to like top 50s to top 20s we got your top 10 that's, yeah, that's yeah right that, that's what you get like i think um like we have a lot of board games especially you have most of our collection yeah um and even like when I see other people like uh, was it Danny Standring on? Holy hell! Like there are board games in every inch of that woman's house. There's shelves. There's walls. They're in closets. They're behind washing machines. Like it's crazy. <laughs> um, Those are where the ones you don't let go. <laughs> so I just like looking at it. I'm like, oh, you don't have that many. But then I look at our wall and I was like, we've got a lot that we haven't played. Um, so that's this where we just kind of went with, we got a top 10 and I think these are, uh, like I said, these are the games that we've played that we've enjoyed. 
I think one of the determining factors for us was on our top ten list. Am I excited about pulling this game off the shelf? Yeah. So uh, let's start with the bottom of the list because I don't want to give you all the goods first and then you guys all leave. So we're going to start with number ten. And number ten for us is Clank Legacy. Yeah, so this is one that we have not played as much as I would have hoped. Yeah. When we first purchased it years ago. COVID. <laughs> it is, COVID. It, it keeps getting worse the more we talk about it. To be to be fair, we did buy this before we lived together. That like is true. Same area. Yeah, I was so, going to say, you were still down in South Carolina when we yeah, got it. Because we bought this the, the first packs we went to. Yes. There are several versions of Clank Legacy. We oh. have the Acquisitions Incorporated version. There's several versions of Clank. This is the only Clank Legacy. Really? Acquisitions Incorporated is the only <laughs> one? All the others are just regular Clank. I mean, there is there is Clank in space. There is... Uh, Got it. I, there's like five, four other ones, I think. There's a lot of Clank going around, but this is the only um, legacy version that, you know, has like a continuous storyline and the game builds, that sort of thing. Right. And for anybody who doesn't know, legacy games, as you play them, they change. The board may change. You may destroy certain objectives so you never do them again because they the effect of them will be on the board through a sticker or something else you may change a board open a path that wasn't there before yeah. uh, a lot of stuff like that uh i like that part of it that was the thing that i think really drew me to it um was that when we play through it like we got to name our uh our inn and we were operating out of the red bush inn um <laughs> it's fantastic uh, I thought it was totally appropriate, uh, especially with that PAX. Uh, some of the people that we met in the first PAX, it worked out great. It's a fun game. It, it, Clank is essentially then Clank, uh, where you're trying to get into a dungeon, get some loot, don't make too much noise, don't wake up the dragon. Yeah. Right? And it's represented by, like, Clank cubes when you make noise. Uh, you have to, like, put them in the bag and then draw them out to see what happens. Yep. Um it's a lot of fun. Clank in general is a lot of fun. Like you said, there are versions of Clank. Um, I was not aware that we had the only legacy, so we should really finish that. Now I definitely feel bad. Uh, but yeah, Clank is just a, a fun game. It was kind of, I, I don't know, classic might be a little strong, but I mean, it's it was a popular game for a long time before they came out with the legacy version. Yeah. Uh, I think the Acquisitions Incorporated theme tacked on is excellent. Um, it's It adds, especially the legacy part of it, it adds a little bit extra to that. Yes. Because um, they are acquisitions incorporated is a crazy story timeline you know whatever you want to call it anyway right so it's it's fantastic i think it really it really does add to the game it's made it it's made it very enjoyable um and we do have two expansions too that i don't even think we've opened like the c team expansion no because you're supposed to wait till you're done with the legacy part to play with go those. back in there yeah. Yeah, yeah so we have still stuff to do but we're looking forward to it let's move to number nine rising sun so this one this one's fantastic. I think part of the reason was because we we lucked up on a Kickstarter edition. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, um, because we didn't we did not get the kick. We did not back the Kickstarter. That was before I think we were really. That that was before we were really looking at Kickstarter, like uh, a while before. So we obviously had heard. I obviously had heard of the company. We knew about Blood Rage because that came out beforehand, right? Um, but another good game yeah we stumbled upon rising sun the kickstarter edition at my friendly local game store down in south carolina um so we were able to pick it up at the kickstarter price which was fantastic and we also were able to get the playmat at the kickstarter price yes which was even better yeah we got a just got a really good deal on this 
um, yeah. before we even opened it up. Yeah, and then we got to play it. It's a fantastic game, especially with all the little extra bits that we have. They just add to the experience. Mm-hmm. I love playmats. Playmats are wonderful. That one you can't find under like 150 bucks now. So, you know, yeah. good yeah. luck. And I believe the first time we played it was at that first PAX. Uh, we had We had it. And we did the learn to play at PAX. Yeah. So when we got home, we were ready to give it a shot. Yeah, we hadn't cracked it open. Uh, and the Simon booth there was doing learn to play of a couple of their games. Um, but that was one of them. So we got to sit down and play through a few rounds of it uh, with like a person who really knew the game teaching us. So that was cool. But yeah, I, I mean, it's just a fantastic dudes on a map game. It It looks like it would play like Risk or something like that, but I really like the way it flips up the combat mechanic. Yes. Um, And the bidding system for that, I think, is excellent. Some people don't like that as much as like traditional like rolling to fight games. Right. But I I like how there's uh, a little bit of subtlety to it when you're doing the bidding because you do it in secret and decide like the moves you're going to bid most on. Um, But yeah, the option to just kill off your dudes and yeah. like just gain honor. I think like, it's fantastic. You know what? They caught us. We're just going to straight seppuku over here. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, so there's a lot of really cool, interesting choices with it. The theme of it's fantastic, um, especially with the, you know, Japanese themed monsters and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Kami and stuff that you play in. Uh, moving on to number eight. Uh, that is Cult of the Deep. Yep. Yeah, so we've had lots of talks about this game. We've had the people who designed and created the game on our podcast, which is something I think I'm going to brag about forever. Right. Um, Yeah, but this is just a really fun game. The fact that we were able to discuss it before we even like knew anything about it was cool. Uh, But then when we actually got our hands on it and got to playing it, we're like, ah, this is actually a really cool game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was made by the guys at BA Games. Uh, One of the brothers, there are three brothers that kind of started their own game company. Uh, just happened to be in the local area and found one of our business cards that we uh, generously leave all over the place around uh, here. I was going to say strategically placed. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we, like I said, we got to talk about the game. And then when it came out, they shipped us a copy of the game Yeah. before we got a chance to back it or pay for it or anything else. Because uh, by the time we met him, the Kickstarter, I think, was already closed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, incredibly generous and really loved it. From the minute we opened this game, though, like it was quality all the way around. The box, the cards, the pieces, they're just, everything feels so good. I love that the cards in this are like the tarot-sized uh, cards, yep. and they have like the texture on the back of them that you can like you can feel and kind of see when you move them in the light. Um, and basically, it is a social deduction game, which was not one of our top type of games. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this one does it really well. Yeah, it adds some the card play mechanic and things like that into it that really helps to balance the game out of the just finger pointing that you usually get with social deduction. Right, and the rolling mechanic that they have in there where you roll and then you have to decide how to distribute those dice, whether to people or to uh, rituals, because you're all in a cult, and some cultists are cool with the cult the way it is, and others are like trying to make the cult great again or whatever. Um, (laughs) So... You roll and, you know, you can do damage or heal or there are certain other symbols that can move rituals along or prevent rituals from detonating and killing everybody. So there's a lot of things that can go on in there and you're trying to read where people are. The only role that you know for sure is who is the high priest. Yeah. So, And I just want to point out, I would love to have a um, a sticker of a hairpiece to put on the high priest from now on. 
<laughs> now I have to go make that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, but I think this was a game that really kind of turned us around on social deduction games as well. Yeah. I, and I, I've noticed kind of a trend with that is that social deduction games are moving towards having other elements in them that make the games not only different, but also more interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, the elements of like the hidden role can only be done so many times before it's just the same game with a different flavor. Yes. So. Yeah. But yeah. So moving on to number seven, which is Nemesis. Uh, we got, there's, there's so many expansions. We need to get Nemesis and play. Yeah. So Nemesis was a game that came out. Uh, and when I looked, the first time I looked at the game, I was like, wow, this looks like aliens. Uh, that's right. <laughs> the movie franchise. Um, if you look at like the aliens in your spaceship, they're aliens. Like they're oh, xenomorphs. Yeah. This is alien the board game without the rights. Like, right, one hundred percent. Which I think is fantastic. I, I believe like we'd heard the story that they tried to get the rights and they couldn't, so they found like, look, we're going with the game. This is how the this is the way the molds came out, baby. Like I, <laughs> I love how close they are. So the miniatures and the art and everything is so close. I feel like, but it's just off enough where you would never win that lawsuit. Right, it's like, just, there's just enough legal deviation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, oh. But it is a fantastic game. So I have played a ton of this game on Tabletop Simulator, mm-hmm. just because the setup is can be kind of a bear, Yeah, and it's a lot to devote to it, whereas like I can just pull it up on there, it sets it up for me, and I play as much as I want, and then I can actually save everything right where it is. Right. So... But yeah, the gameplay on this is fantastic. The whole um, kind of tension that it builds with as you move throughout the ship, there's a larger possibility you're going to spawn one of the creatures. Right, right. Um, and there are certain things that have to be done on the ship before you can try and like jump to like warp speed. And you only have a certain amount of time to do them. So there's just a lot of really cool stuff that happens. There's places, rooms that are on fire there's rooms that are filled with like a toxic sludge like all kinds of really cool stuff that happen um i do like the fact that you don't know what room is what until you go into the room right when you enter the room is when you actually find out what it is um i think that makes it uh, it's fun and interesting uh because there are certain rooms that you know like the engine room is always the engine room and i think it's a cockpit it's always the cockpit and the the i don't remember what they call it but the the cryo chamber room Right. It's the same because that's where you start every time. What I like is that I guess you could call this a semi cooperative because there is the possibility for a trader mechanic. Yeah. So it depends on the version you play because there are two different versions. You can't play full cooperative. Right. Um, where it there isn't a trader mechanic. But if you play semi cooperative, some of the objectives that you or the other players playing with you might get might be detrimental to the rest of the group um including but not limited to make sure every other player dies and i I, it's like those are the those are the corporate cards right which i love the fact that yes capitalism is evil let's show you how uh because it's totally what would happen um but yeah you you can have that a traitor mechanic that may kick in and you won't know because everybody does keep those like secret objectives that they have. Yeah. And it's stuff like you can sabotage the engines because the way the engines work, there are two cards. One of them is good. And one of them is bad. And as you go to fix the engines in quotation marks, you pull up those cards and you decide which one you want to put on top. Right. And whichever one you put like on the face down, that is the one that it is. So 
if you want to, you know, sabotage the engines, you put the bad one first down and you set them back down face down. Right. So the only time those cards get flipped is when somebody's either looking at the engines or at the end of the game when you go, hey, are we good enough to make it, you know, our destination? You flip over them. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. 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 Makes it a lot of fun. Uh, That, and I do like that each of the characters are, uh, they have their own individual powers. So, again... Uh, depending on who you're playing will depend on what you're good at on the ship. Yep. Um, another mechanic that I just enjoy in general with a game. Yep. And each of the different player characters have their own decks of cards as well. Mm-hmm. So that really play into their skills. Yeah. That's whatever they are. So yeah, it's a fantastic game. There's a lot to it. I love the, the theme. I love the artwork on it. It's very, very kind of dark. There are two different boards on it, Yep. which is cool. One is harder than the other. Definitely. Um, but yeah, just, just all in all, it's a very, very good game. Right. And there's a lot of expansions out there for it now. So it just keeps getting better by everything that I've heard. Yep. Um, let's move into number six. Unmatched. We picked up a copy of Unmatched, uh, I think at this last packs, brought it home and it was a two pack. Um, and it was Robin Hood and Bigfoot. Yes. Yes. Um, which are two people or two characters that you wouldn't think would be in single combat, but they are. And that is kind of the premise of the Unmatched game. Yeah, so it kind of, um, the show Deadliest Warrior. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. So that's kind of, (laughs) when I first saw Unmatched, that's what I pictured. But, I mean, obviously they are using characters from, like, folklore and, like, you know, myths and legends and things like that, which is really cool, and they just kind of mash them up all together. But that was the first thing I thought of, because, like, on that show you had, like, ninjas versus Vikings and stuff like that, like, two cultures that would never come together. But yeah, 100%. And you you see a lot of that. There's also Marvel. There's Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. There's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, different versions of this game for each of those. And the thing about them is, is you buy a box, whether it be a two-pack or a four-pack, or there are individuals. You can't get the Bruce Lee individual, which I've been looking for. Hard to find. Um, <laughs> and it is a one-on-one, or it can be done as a team, like a two-on-two game as well, where you have your deck of cards. Plus, you have your figurine for whichever historical fantasy slash whatever figure you're yeah. using. And most of them will have some kind of minion that they have with them. Uh, like the Bigfoot's uh, minion is uh, the uh, jackalope, yeah, uh, which is a fantastic mythical creature. The, the jackalope, he's no joke. Like he can, He'll fly through and do some damage. You kind of have to uh, play on the board a certain way. The boards are broken down into like different areas, and that's for when you have a ranged character like Robin Hood. You can fire into your area. You can't fire adjacent areas, things like that. Um, a lot of fun. Like I said, the first one that we got was Robin Hood and Bigfoot. We have some other ones we've gotten and haven't gotten to play. Uh, the Cobble and Fog Edition has yeah. like the Invisible Man, um, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes. Holmes. I believe that one has Dracula in it as well. And one other. Um, there's another one that has like Medusa. Uh, you can play as the Monkey King from Chinese folklore. Um, I think we have Little Red Riding Hood uh, as well. I can't remember who she's playing against. Beowulf? I yeah, think. Beowulf. Yep. Um, and then again, like I said, there's the Marvel edition, uh, Hell's Kitchen. So it's yeah, which Daredevil is- and uh, yeah, uh, I think Bullseye and Kingpin and one other in there. Probably Electra. Electra. Um, and then the Jurassic Park one, which I want to get just because it doesn't like it's huge. You get to play with a T Rex. Um, <laughs> who doesn't want that? And they're and they they seem to and they seem to keep rolling out new ones too. There's a bunch of them that I'm sure that I haven't seen yet uh, that are out there. So um, 
definitely a fun game to pick up. Great, like a one-on-one minifigure uh, kind of tactical game. Yeah, and it plays pretty fast. So, you know, that's definitely something set up, tear down, that sort of stuff is really quick. Yep. So it's a nice little quick game, uh, but definitely one of our favorites. Yeah. Um, something that is not a small little quick game. <laughs> Another more crunchy game. Um, Zombie Side. We've talked about it a lot here lately. Uh, we uh, purchased second edition and played that. We've also played the Black Plague version of it. There is also a space version. Um, Invader. Yeah, Invader. Yeah. The uh, Green Horde. There's a lot of zombie. There's the Night of the Living Dead, like we said, the kind of the classic uh, George Romero film uh, on your board. And soon to come out uh, in a few months. Next uh, year and here? Yeah, next year. It was, I think July is when it's supposed to ship. I right. Was the Marvel uh, Zombies Kickstarter, which was massive. Massive. Yeah. Like, who does not want a two-foot Galactica statue um, in their board games? So we kind of just lumped all Zombie Side together, because it is all still basically the same game, and it may play a little different. Yeah, for the most part, it's a similar game. I mean, there's there's some differences within the different versions, um, some game elements, but, I mean, the the theme is the same. Like, you are either going to be... Like, whatever period you're set in, you're still trying to do the objectives, kill some zombies, or Collect avoid some the zombies. Yeah. yeah. Upgrade, get some weapons. Um, Like, straight Ameritrash. Oh, yeah. 100%. Tons of dudes on the map. Like, you're probably going to run out of zombies at some point, and then it's going to be bad, and that's how you die. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Wandering hordes of zombies are uh, just to be expected. Like, the first time people play this game, and we get into, like, the third round, and they're like, oh, my God, there's, like, 15 zombies on the board. We're like... <laughs> oh my sweet summer child yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like just wait till i find this weapon yeah. and then yeah <laughs> then you just start mowing down zombies um yeah 100 it's an excellent game it's a game that is not too hard for new players right like that that's one thing that i always liked about it as long as you have somebody who has played before and knows how to run the game and like the process of how that works right not yep. like telling people this is what you need to do because that that's quarterbacking and we don't like that but having somebody who can control the game and knows the process of how it works yep. and kind of can help players understand it, it's not a hard game to pick up. No. Um, and it really gives that really cool table presence that I think helps to draw people into the hobby. Right. And it's a uh, come on game. So there are minis, lots and lots of minis. And they're well wonderful. done minis. Yep. Um, yeah. Like feel free to paint them if you like. Um, it's on my to do list, but I've got a lot of. That list is really long. I've got a lot of I've got like a piles of gray plastic all over my house, so yeah. we're getting there. Um, but yeah, definitely one of our favorites. Uh, definitely a lot of fun. I love introducing new people to this game. I've had some friends come over that were not board game types that are just. He went home and he was like, "Dude, where do I find that game?" And I was like, "Well, let me tell you about our friendly local game stores. Go yeah. check them first. Yeah, one hundred percent. This this is a very fun game, especially for for people that that are like." I've played Monopoly and I've played, you know, shoots and ladders. I was like, all right, kid, let me show you this game. Let, <laughs> let's play a real board game. Um, and this is one of those that's really fun because, like I said, it looks great on the table. It's really cool to see the when you start drawing and spawning zombies. Ah, oh, we need 10 walkers here. And then there's suddenly the giant horde of zombies on the table. So that that's cool. That's awesome. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why we really like it. Number four. So number four is Spirit Island. So this one is arguably my most favorite game uh, when it comes to like true board games. Um, I can't tell you how many hours I have sunk in the spirit. Island. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, my guess would be somewhere in the neighborhood of close to two, three hundred at this point. Um, just because this game is fantastic as a solo game, uh, whether you play it as like one spirit or you you play as two spirits which that gets kind of brain birdie but if if you're into that it's 100 percent a fantastic game one of the, my favorite things about this game so like i guess let's give a premise of what it is you are playing as like indigenous spirits to this island you have a populace that lives on the island that you are trying to work with and protect from the white plastic invaders uh, <laughs> colonizers yep yeah. and uh, it's fantastic because each of the spirits that you play as plays extremely different. Now, you get power cards that are spread across each spirit, like any spirit can pick them up. But your innate abilities, the way you put presence out on the island, the way you initially interact with invaders, it's all completely different. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about it is um, figuring out the combinations between the spirits, like how they play off of each other, how they interact with each other, that sort of thing um, is, is fantastic. You have ones that are like really good right out of the gate and kind of cool off as the game goes on. Then you have ones that are like super slow. Like you feel like you're going to get overrun and then out of nowhere, they just like explode. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's, it's one of the things I love about this game. There are so many really like not hard decisions, but decisions that cause you to, to have to really think. Right. There are a lot of avenues to go down yeah. with this game when you're when you're dealing with the strategy of it. Yeah. And the progression is really great from as a new player to the game, you you begin to think, um, all right, so I have to play off. I, I look for fast powers and it's all about what is happening right now. As you have played this game for a little while and you begin to understand it more, you begin to see two and three turns down the road and that's how you start to play. Right. Um, and that's been really crazy and interesting for me to see like the more that I play this game, the different way that now I approach it. Yeah. Um, and there's still with the amount of time that I put into this game and obviously I have all the expansions for it um, with even playing all the different spirits there are still things that I have not done in this game um, because there is so much content in the box. Yeah, 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 which it's not that big of a box. Yeah. Um, but there's, what, two expansions out for it now? Um, right now, the, yeah, technically two main expansions. There is a smaller expansion uh, that was some promo spirits that they released initially with, like, a Kickstarter right. um, that they've released as their own expansion now. Um there is uh, a brand new version that is releasing to Target that is supposed to have a little bit streamlined rule set okay. to make it an easier point of entry, uh, but it does include new spirits, so that's fantastic. There is also a Kickstarter edition that is supposed to come out later this month that's going to hit the Kickstarter for um, the next expansion for the game. Got it, got it. So that that also looks great. Uh, there is just so much in this game, and that's again, that's probably why it's one of my favorites. Um, it is a little, it's a little brain burning at times, right? So it, I, this is not something I would suggest to new players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely not one of those games, but for somebody who has played a few board games and is like looking to kind of take the next step up, this is definitely one of those games because. If somebody gets into it and like understands it and enjoys this type of game, 100%. All right. We're looking at our top three now. Yep. 
So starting off that part of the list, we're going with Moonrakers. Um, it is a uh, semi-cooperative deck building, uh, tableau building. We upgraded the mini the ships, so we have the metal ships. I just want to throw that out there because it's kind of a flex. Uh, we did take it to uh, one of our first ever game days with the Tidewater uh, Gaming Association. They play once a month, just get together in the library, a bunch of people. Uh, we were able to throw that out there and played it, uh, played a game with it, which was great. Uh, basically, what you the, the premise of the game is you're a starship captain, and you take these jobs um, to move yourself up the prestige track. The first one to ten prestige wins, um, and each of these jobs is uh, different, right? Some of them can be delivery jobs, some of them can be um, uh, like kill jobs where you go hunting pirates. Some of them can be exploration jobs. But what you do is you have a deck in your hand, a deck of cards, and each of these jobs has um, a requirement for it to be completed. And it'll say you have to play two of this type of card and two of this type of card. Something like that. Um, so you have, and you may look at your hand where you have a draw pile, a discard pile, and in your hand of five cards. And you may look and say, well, I don't have that. And I don't have the ability in my hand to draw more cards. So you kind of have to make deals with people. And that's what I think takes this game up to the next level. Yeah. Is the table negotiation that goes on. Yeah, because it, it is a deck builder through and through with like those elements of like tableau building with the ship parts, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, but really, it's the negotiations with the deck builder part that really are cool. Because there are a ton of deck builders out there. Right. Um, you know, specifically thinking of like Dominion and things like that. Deck builders have the unfortunate problem of oftentimes being a, a solo. Like, you're sitting at a table with people, but you are still playing by yourself. Right, right. Um, which, you know, to each their own, if you enjoy that thing, that's that's up to you. But I like the way that this involves the entire table. Right. Because it's no longer, well, when it's my turn, I'm going to try and go for that contract and do that thing. A lot of the contracts you just can't complete on your own, especially at the beginning. I was going to say, yeah, and some of them, um, they carry more risk than others, Yep. Um, which is represented by risk dice that you roll to see how much prestige you would lose if you don't find a way to block it or mitigate it. Um, so that's always fun because that's part of the negotiation. When you take a contract, you're like, hey, the rewards for the contract are maybe you can get a free piece uh, for your ship or a free member for your crew. You may get prestige points on it. You may get actual coins, which is the money in the game that you use to buy uh, crew, and ship parts. crew and ship parts. And you can offer those up like, hey, if somebody helps me out and takes one hazard, I'll give you three coins. And yep. you go back and forth before you determine whether you're going to work together or not. Yep. Um, and then you start playing your cards and see if you actually complete the contract. Uh, it's been a while since we broke it out. It was a lot of fun playing over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, that negotiation, um, you know. A lot of people have different ideas on how to play. Like, I know the guy that actually won our game that we were playing with. His plan was to be able to mitigate hazards on yeah. contracts. So he was willing to help anybody. And he'd, yeah, I'll take the hazards, whatever, because they had no effect on him whatsoever. Yeah, because of the ship parts that he got for a ship. Yeah. So there are tons of different ways to play the game. They actually just came out with a cooperative version that uses... It's basically an app, right? It's, it doesn't. It's not an app on like a phone or anything. It's it's on Steam. It's a game mode, but it basically runs part of the game for you. And there's like a little campaign, and it's a whole cooperative thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's still the same type of gameplay, um, but yeah, it, it plays well. I like the little graphics. The stories are pretty cool, and it's it's pretty tough too. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, that that makes it pretty cool. But yeah, Moonraker's the 
the quality of the pieces and the box and everything fantastic yeah yeah when we got ours um we actually the box was damaged like somebody had punched a hole through the shipping box and the actual game box and i reached out to him and i was like hey i just i'll i'll pay for a box whatever um this guy just da- and it just got damaged and i just it, it if you have games in a collection you'll understand um and they were real cool they were like no dude we'll send you a box don't even worry about it give us your address they sent us a new box they also sent us the mini expansion that had come out with it's got a few more crew cards and things which was like not asked for or anything and yeah. were obviously not popular enough to be like the dice throne or anything so it was just them doing good customer service and taking yeah. care of people so i really like that um yeah top three perfect yeah i mean i think it fits it's uh it's definitely up there for us uh number two all right so number two is marvel champions um this one is also one of my really up there favorites marvel champions is a card game that basically you choose which hero you want to be. Um, and now that list of heroes is ridiculously long. Um, but each hero comes with their own 13 cards. And then you build a deck off of that using one of four different aspects. Um, and once you build that deck, then you go up against one of the villains, which now there, I think there's something like 25 different villains you can fight against. Um, it is a living card game. And for those of you familiar with Fantasy Flight's kind of business model, that is one of their things. Living card games, you have um, obviously Marvel Champions. You also have the Arkham Horror living card game. There was a Lord of the Rings one for a little while as well. Um, they're basically card games where they continue to put out new um, expansions for them that are either new heroes you can play as or new um, missions and things like that that you can do. One of the reasons I love it is the way that they capture each individual superhero like the theme of them right like one of my favorite examples is iron man so iron man you start out the hero cards each have they're double-sided one side is your superhero side and one side is your alter ego side right so the iron man obviously one side you have tony stark and one side you have iron man but as iron man you have to literally dig up the pieces of your suit in your deck and then attach them to yourself and every piece that you attach makes you stronger like you kind of suck at the beginning when you don't have all the all of your armor, but by the time you have gathered all the different pieces of your armor, he is by far the strongest character of of any of the other characters. Sounds like bullshit because I mean he's still a billionaire when he starts. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah. So there are, but there are so many cool things that this game does. Um, so in the core box, you get five different heroes, um, and then now there are. A, billion expansions it feels like um of all the different ones that you can play as um but yeah it there are so many different heroes and they're still finding ways to create them and make them feel different yeah um like they just came out with a spider-man campaign box um which was based off sinister six um and it had miles morales in there and uh spider gwen yeah were the two heroes that came in the box. And of course, Miles Morales, you get to make use of his invisibility power. It allows you to basically avoid damage in certain situations kind of stuff. But yeah, it's just, they feel so much like the characters. Right. Uh, And one thing I love, the other thing, they use the comic book art for them. So they pulled like from all the different comics that these heroes appeared in. Um, some of it is like newer art. Some of it is older art, especially ones that have been around for a long time. Um, but they use the actual comic book art on the cards and stuff, which I think is a fantastic move 
it it just it looks really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've played this one with you. I think like once, right. and uh, it didn't go well. Yeah, we lost. Yeah, we did. That was that was really when I was early in the uh, in the stage. So <laughs> right. I, I mean, you know, there's there've been a lot of advancements. Right. We were still filling it out at the time, and I know now. I know you have a like a special box, or had to pick up a collector. I have box two special boxes to collect. Yeah, <laughs> to keep track of all of them. Yeah. Um, I like that it's expanding. I like that there's still stuff to get in. Um, I don't know if for like a new player, if that's a detriment to them. Uh, it's just if so it's overwhelming. It's the argument. It's the argument that's made against the Arkham Horror card game all the time. Yeah. Because, but I think it's different in this. So, in the Arkham Horror card game, you had um, the, like, campaign boxes that came out kind of told a story all the way through. Right. This really doesn't. Like, yeah. you can pick up an individual campaign box like they have, um, like the Sinister Six box. Within that box, it tells a story. But outside of that, not really. Um, gotcha, gotcha. So there have been, I think, like four campaign boxes at this point. Um, there's one that has to deal with like Thanos. Um, that's the Mad Titan Shadow. Um, there is one that is the high. The first one that came out was a Hydra box, and then they did like a Guardians of the Galaxy set. So there's kind of a loose, overarching story, like as you kind of work through them. But it it isn't like you have to play one in order to understand it, especially with the way the MCU is now. Yeah. That story is a whole lot more expanded and popular, even though it's slightly tweaked because they went more off a comic book story than they did the MCU. But yeah, nonetheless, there is, it's not a requirement for you to have one box to buy the next one. Okay. And that was a question that, yeah. Yeah. So and you I'm, could, you could pick up the box that you're interested in as long as you have somebody to fight. Yeah, and you have heroes. to buy the core box. Okay. Cause there are cards in the core box that require you to have like to build the decks for the other boxes. Got it. Okay. Um, but after that, it doesn't matter what expansion. Now I will say because of the way the living card games work, you you are limited to the decks you can build based on the cards you have. And some of the like the individual hero expansions, like the Captain America or Doctor Strange expansion, that are just that character in their deck, come with extra cards in them that would be required for like to build certain decks. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Now it depends on how in depth you want to go in it, because you don't have to build the you know those decks or you can even buy the cards individually online like people are selling those which is really cool um so if there's a deck you wanted to build you didn't really want to buy the one set or you couldn't find the expansion because it's been a while you could buy the individual cards got it got it okay yeah all in all it's a fantastic game it is very unique in the way that each of the characters play so like my favorite to play um is probably a tie between dr strange and captain america um they play completely different but Doctor Strange has a spell deck, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, it, it can be really powerful. Um, and then Captain America is all about having other heroes. So you build this deck around like having all these like other heroes that you can like a team. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, 100% though. Great game. Um, excellent pickup. If you want to try it, I'd start with the core box and then just kind of work from there. Because once you kind of get the game, if it's something you like, tons of expansions out there. Right. Plenty for you to go after. Um, and this brings us to our number one spot. And for us, uh, the game that occupies that prestigious uh, spot on our shelf is probably one of the games that takes up most of the room on our shelf right now. And that's <laughs> Dice Throne. Um, we've been fans of this game for a long time. It's uh, Roxley Games. Yeah. Um, they do fantastic work. Um, 
with this. Uh, we the first time we saw it was just season one, and season two was just coming out. Yep, because we saw it at or the first packs we went to. Right. Uh, it is a um, competitive uh, dice rolling card builder combat type game where you choose your character. Uh, in the first season, like they were all kind of well, the first season and the second season, the characters were just kind of. I don't want to say generic, but they were not. They were not like linked to any sort of kind of IP. They right? were like archetype characters, right? Yeah, you had a barbarian, you had the moon elf, you had the shadow thief, you had yep. the monk, um, and they all play differently. Yeah, um, there are a lot of similar mechanics, but how they employ them is all different. Season two came out and gave us, I mean, the gunslinger, the samurai, the vampire, the cursed pirate, yeah, um, the tactician. Uh, and some of them are easier to play than others. Um, but I, I feel, I personally feel like it's balanced. I've been on the boards uh, talking about it or like listening to people. And there's always somebody that's like, this is OP. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. Just stop it. Just stop it. Um, you're just pissing me off at this point. Uh, the most recent version. Well, sorry. Not the most recent. The most recent version that people have gotten their hands on was the Marvel Dice Throne expansion where you got. Um, eight options. It depends if you back the Kickstarter, you got all eight characters. Right there, the retail version is out now because I've seen it in Target, where there is a four four character box and then two two character boxes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, with the with the Kickstarter version, you got all eight characters in a really really fancy box. Yep, yep. And it was nice. Yep, it, it is was nice. nice. Um, and yeah, I I actually really like the Marvel version. I it might just be I'm a sucker for Marvel stuff. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, admitting you have a problem is the first step. Yeah. Right. Um, because yeah, uh, one of the things I love about it is that each character plays differently. Yes. They each feel different the way that they do their, their kind of whole general play style really reflects that character. I think they did a really, really good job. Yeah. And you, so, um, and for those that haven't heard us talk about it, where have you been? Um, you (laughs) choose your character, you get a care, a board that's got all of your abilities on it. Uh, you have a deck of cards that you're able to draw from, and in those cards, there may be upgrades to the abilities they have on your board. You just pay the cost and play them on there, and then that ability is upgraded for the rest of the match. Um, when it becomes your turn, you uh, have the ability to kind of roll to activate your one of your abilities, um, and it's kind of a Yahtzee roll system, right? Six yep. dice, you get three rolls. Keep the ones you want and roll the ones that you need well, you know, as you're trying to get going. You also have cards that can manipulate your rolls or cards that can manipulate an opponent or a um, allies if you're playing in teams. Yeah. Uh, so you can change those rolls. It's just, it's real dynamic. You never know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a great game. The fun thing is that all of the versions can play together. So you can take a season one character and play it in the Marvel yep. version. Uh, there's also the DTA, the Dice Throne Adventures, which you can buy, which turns your game from a competitive game into a cooperative game where you're going up against different minions and different like bosses using the same mechanics, the same kind of fight mechanics, but you're doing it against you know a boss cooperatively with the rest of your team. Yeah, which we've only got to play that one once, but that was a fantastic time. Yeah, yeah. like I, I really I, I want to play that more. Um, because we like Dice Throne, we like the way it plays specifically, and to add the co-op mechanic in it, which I'm a personal fan of co-op stuff, um, yeah, 100%. It, it's a great time. So the latest version of it was a two-character box that they did, um, which should be 
I believe, shipping at about Christmas time, if I remember how the Kickstarter went. And it was Santa versus Krampus, which I do want to get a copy of it. Um, I just, I have to have it. I didn't back the Kickstarter because I just missed it. Uh, but I watched, um, I thought that was really, like, that's one of those, like, taking it another step, kind of like how Unmatched does, where you've got all of these characters now, and they are from different worlds, and yep. you can still play them together. I can play Santa versus Loki if I want to, which feels appropriate. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, or Krampus versus Loki and see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, but just overall, like everything about the game has been great. Um, they did do some balancing in the game as well uh, when the the Marvel um, Kickstarter was finished with some of the older characters. Three of the characters got kind of an update to some of their abilities to make them a little bit more competitive and a little stronger yeah. um, overall. Which, to have a company go back and do that, uh, like I think that's huge. That we, we want to keep it where you can play all of these characters against yeah. each other. And we were seeing that this was a problem, so we fixed it. Yeah, um, I love that part. So, yeah. Um, there you go. That is the top ten games that we have played within our collection. Um, there may be another number one in there that we just haven't unboxed yet. I mean... The Night Cage is one that I hear great things about. I've unwrapped it, got it ready to go, never got a chance to play it. Uh, there are several others, and that's just the way it goes when you collect board games, I think. Yeah. Um, but for what we've played right now, um, you know, maybe a couple of other honorable mentions. We played Scythe as well, which is one of ours that was uh, in there. Um, one of our possibles was Ticket to Ride. It's something that we always recommend for people that are new, kind of getting into the board game hobby. Easy to play, easy to learn, uh, a lot of fun. I've never had anybody come back and be like, that train game sucks. <laughs> so uh, we're going to keep going with it. Yeah. Um, but this was our top 10. Yep. I gotta figure it out right now. Cause I know what you need. You want only the best and nothing but the best for me. I gotta figure it out right now. Cause I know what you need. You want only the best. And next up on the Dapper Meeple, our crowdfunding roundup. So keeping with the board game theme of this episode, uh, we've pulled three board game projects off of Kickstarter that uh, we're looking at backing and are going to talk to you about. One of them is a horror-themed, asymmetric, player-powered board game uh, where you're trying to either take over or infect or depending on which uh one of the different factions you're playing as uh the place of harrow county uh the next one we have is a fun little kind of card vault pl plundering game called heist and hyperspace and the last one we're going to talk about is a fun little pirate themed um either help the crew grab the booty uh save the ship uh game called we're sinking so let's get started with Harrow County. So I saw this one pop up and watched the video on it. First of all, um, it's a little the, the video is a little um, graphic. Like we hung the witch here, she is. It's like wow, that's yeah. some that's some really good artwork on the witch hanging there, guys. <laughs> um, but it is a um, it's described as a game of gothic conflict, uh, and kind of the story behind it is this town put a witch to death years ago and now there's a little girl that's come back from the same tree where she was hung and uh she has her protectors with her and you're basically playing uh emmy which is the girl versus the townsfolk and this one looks very interesting the art style is very distinct yeah it is yeah like it it's very specific but it is throughout the whole thing so i mean 100 good job 
Um, this, so I've been listening to a lot of the lore podcasts, just kind of tossing them out there. Uh, and he does a lot of like Salem witch trials and like the spiritualist movement and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one hundred percent is on theme, right? Like, right yeah. down there. Yeah, that's uh, Aaron Mankey does yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, per- perfectly fits in with like uh, anything that he does on his show. Yeah, but 100%, it's a really cool-looking game. Um, we are fans of asymmetric player powers. Um, this kind of has a feel of the same way that Root did, um, yeah. where each of the factions play completely different. They each have their own goals and things like that. Um, you can also play as like the witch trying to come back. Right. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, that, that looks pretty cool. Um, so... Let's talk about pricing. What are we looking at uh, for the base retail edition? Uh, it's sixty-five U.S. dollars, and that comes with just you know the standard copy of the game. It comes with all the pieces. You get the different factions um, that you can play with. I believe the base game comes with four different factions that you can start with. Um, there is a add-on or an expansion that you can pick up if you get the deluxe edition that adds a fifth faction and allows you to actually play three or four players. Right, and it looks like. Uh, even I think even with the base action you can play three players, but the third player doesn't come in until later. Um, listening to the video, that's what they were talking about. Uh, so I'm interested to know how they're working that mechanic. Um, yeah, is that like if you have a game going on and like somebody shows up late and be like, ah, <laughs> hey, you could be the third player. So you know, like half of the people that we game with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, they obviously know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the deluxe edition is ninety nine dollars. Uh, it basically comes with uh, wooden pieces instead of cardboard standees, um, a couple other component upgrades, kind of thing. Right. Uh, you do get the additional faction, which is the fair folk, um, and allows you to then play the four players. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the upgrade there. And then you got the um... the satchel edition, <laughs> which I had to go read this. I was like, what are they talking about? But this version of the game comes in a cardboard satchel uh, that has like a cloth strap, metal reinforced grommets. Uh, you also upgrade those uh, uh, coins to metal coins, which, again, always a fan. Yep. Um, yep. And it comes with everything else that was in the deluxe edition. That will run you $120, $130 US. Uh, if you would like to get it with a signed poster, there will be numbered individually and signed by Cullen Bunn, Tyler Cook, uh, Jay Croymer, and Shad Miller. Actual hand-signed posters, which is, I mean, I think that's kind of cool. That one's going to run you 180 Yeah, especially if you like the art style, it, it is a pretty cool-looking poster. Yeah, yep. Um, you can also, you can pledge with a PAL if you get two copies of the Satchel Edition, they'll only charge you shipping for one. I mean, kind of a deal, especially, shipping can get crazy, man. <laughs> this one looks like a pretty interesting game. Uh, so far, they have reached their goal. They're at 117000 of their $54,000 goal. Nice. So they have 1,300 backers. They still have 19 days to go as the time of this recording. So plenty of time to get in there and back it if you would like to. Uh, definitely looks like an interesting game, especially if you're a fan of like gothic horror kind of um, theme, as well as just the the general whole like witch trials and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it definitely looks like a lot of fun. They had it at Gen Con too, so you can go see some of the reactions there, so you can get a good look at it. Uh, next up on the list, heists in hyperspace. All right, so this one looks pretty fun. It's uh, the art style here is kind of more more cartoony and whimsical. Uh, but basically, it is a game in which you are playing as a space pirate captain trying to loot 
and um, get your way to these vaults. And at the end of three expeditions, the player with the most loot ends up being the winner. Uh, it is a two to four player game. Uh, takes somewhere around 60 minutes. Uh, it, I like the art style of it. I like the way it looks. I kind of like the way that they describe like the feel and stuff of it. I was listening to some reviews and things on it. Um, but yeah, this one is a project that is their first project. Um, it is actually done by Time Loop Games. So right now they are only about halfway to their goal. Uh, they only have 47 backers, but it's still new. They still have 25 days. Yeah. So yeah. it's a brand new project out. Uh, they are a small company. They're only asking for a $5,500 goal. So it's really not that high, especially compared to some of the projects we've seen in right. back. Um, but yeah, this game looks pretty exciting. There's a lot of really cool stuff that they're going to do in their um, stretch goals. Uh, like including right now they have small wooden meeples that are not like customized or anything just to kind of signify where the captains are and where you're moving. Um, But they're looking to upgrade those to like cardboard standees. There's board upgrades, card upgrades, you know, all sorts of things like that. Right. The, uh, the artwork too is kind of like it's, it's in space, but it's that kind of uh, animal type in space. Right. So you're, your captains that you can choose from to play the CEO Wolfgang, uh, who's a wolf. They didn't really hide anything there. Uh, conductor Colet, which looks like a uh, some kind of robot. Then there's Sheriff Vim, who is uh, from Moo Mesa. He's a he's a bull <laughs> space cowboy. Shadow Lord Saren just looks dark and creepy with that smile. Doctor Archimedes is a walking, talking uh, chimpanzee. And then the Codex All-Knowing is some kind of weird dragon. The artwork looks good on them, though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The I like the mercenary factions as yes. well. Um, you got, like... The shark the, mob? Yeah, that's my personal favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the shark mob. You got, like, cat ninjas with the Order of the Claw. Um, lizard wizards. I guess you really need to explain that one. Yeah, yeah, it's 100% there. Um, the cyberkin, which is, like, cyber cats. Uh, there is the command doggos. <laughs> that one might be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the Badlands Brood, which are like um, avian type creatures. Yeah. So yeah, one hundred percent. This one looks really fun. Um, it's got a the art style on it, and the characters and stuff are really cool. Um, so let's talk about how much it costs. So first off, they have a <laughs> they do have an early bird discount right yep. now. So currently there are there's still eight spots left on the early bird discount. So it is thirty one US dollars, which is not not bad at all for a Kickstarter game that we've seen. Um and they're hoping for delivery in April, which is actually That's pretty quick. Yeah. I mean it's mostly cards, so I think that probably helps with the delivery times. Uh standard pledge is thirty five dollars. So if you are able to get the early bird um, you can save yourself four bucks right now on the standard edition. Um, if you go to the next edition up, which is called the Speedy Spacefarer, uh, they also have early bird positions there. They still have 31 of those, uh, and that comes in at $42 um, on that one. Next up, we have uh, Best Frenemies. So it, you get two copies of Heist and Hyperspace Standard Edition and all the stretch goals. The Distinguished Captain. They really gave a lot of options in this one. Yeah. 
to we'll get you a elite edition, which the elite edition is because come with a, a slip case and magnetic box upgrades. So that's the regular pledge of the Speedy Space Fair. Yeah. Yep. The Speedy Space Fair is the early bird edition, which saves you five bucks off of it. Got it. So kind of the same thing. And then Faded Rivals, the same thing. You get two copies of the Elite Edition um, with all the stretch goals and all the Elite stretch goals. So there you go. Um, definitely take a look at this one. Uh, it, looks, it looks like it's a lot of fun. Um, and we're always about, uh, you know, reaching out for new companies um, to keep growing the industry. So, all right, so last on our uh, list, um, and one that we're probably backing ourselves because it just uh, looks like fun, is the game We're Sinking. Yeah, so this one is a really cool looking game. Um, the main thing that drew us in was the little sh- pirate ship that they have that is actually split into multiple layers that as the ship goes down, you remove the bottom layer. So as it sits on the board that looks like water, it looks like it's going down further and further in the water, which that is fantastic. That is such a unique kind of like small game mechanic that really like really elevates this game because in each of the levels as well, there is a chance to have hidden loot. Right. Uh, so you never know what you're quite going to uncover in the levels of the ship. Uh, so the basic premise behind the game is that you all are a crew of pirates that have just went on some magnificent adventure and you are now coming back with a ship full of loot. Uh, on the way back, you are attacked by one of four factions, uh, I yeah, think. Yeah. Four, four different creatures or monsters or factions that are trying to sink your ship um, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. Now, as your pirate crew, you are able to either fight off and repel these this creature or these creatures uh you are able to try and repair the ship or you're also able to try and just grab the loot and run <laughs> um so, it, so so it classifies as semi-cooperative yeah yeah 100 percent um there is a uh, one thing i like there is a hidden movement aspect to it each player has a dial that you choose the action you're going to do and in each row underneath the game board, you would place that dial upside down to, to say you're going to do an action in this row. And then as everyone places it, then you reveal them and you can not only change what action you said you were going to do based on what you chose on your dial, but you can also move it to a different row. So there really is a, there's a lot of deception involved and things like that. So. Um, I like I said the the board looks really good. The artwork looks great on it uh, from everything that we've seen. Um, yeah, uh, and it's rated for like ten and up too. So if you've got some younger gamers in your house, uh, this looks like it could be a lot of fun. And nothing for me would be better than playing this with the kids and just grabbing booty and leaving them to deal with the sinking ship. It'll be like welcome to parenting. So good times. <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah. So this one looks really cool. Uh, definitely take a look at it and see. Um, there are, um, one thing that I like, they, they show the box insert and it looks really fantastic. Um, so they are even in talk about how in the, um, insert, they leave room for future possible expansions. So that's pretty cool. They already have a couple of mini expansions actually, um, that are out there. So let's talk about pledge levels real quick. Uh, they keep it pretty simple. Yeah, there's only a few. The first one is uh, $49. Uh, 
Um, that's just the standard we're sinking pledge level. So you get one copy of it. Um, and of course you'll have to pay shipping afterwards. Uh, but you get all unlocks, stretch goals and social goals. Um, and you get access to any of the add-ons you would like in the pledge manager. Uh, they're looking at delivery in August, which that, that kind of checks out. Um, I figure most Kickstarters are around a year. Maybe right. Yeah. Less. Yeah. Especially with the way the world is still. Uh, the next level is $65, which is their all-in pledge level, which is you get a copy of We're Sinking plus all the add-ons. Um, so, right now, the add-ons are the mini expansion, Sword and Souls, which includes two new enemies. Uh, you are going up against the Navy and the Ghosts. Um, and then you also get a cool little box sleeve um, that kind of covers the whole thing in art and stuff like that. Um, so, that is... $65, and then the last tier that they have is a retail-level pledge um, that if you had a shop and wanted to get five copies of We're Thinking, uh, you could do it for $100. Nice. nice. I'm just looking at add-ons right now. Uh, I, I want to I play with the Navy, and yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I'm getting so this is one we're definitely looking at like for our own. Um, go check it out. A lot of fun. Um I always love a game where you can just bail at any time. Be like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to grab what I can and row out of here. Uh, so um, it'll be real high on our list. So uh, the location of this one is actually Alexandria. Virginia. Yeah. yeah. So, so right up the street. Yeah. Let's go visit them. <laughs> we, we would like to play your game. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this one is looks really good. Uh, currently, they have not funded yet. There's still 22 days to go. Uh, they are at thirty three thousand of a forty two thousand dollar goal, so still another nine thousand, uh, but still plenty of time. So take a look at this one. There's a bunch of video reviews down at the bottom of the page. Yeah. Uh, so go in there and check them out, and then see if uh, this is something that maybe you would like to back. And with that, Ranger, you're up. Okay. Bonus action: Hunter's Mark, attack, main hand twice, one offhand attack. Extra Dread Ambusher attack, plus extra damage, plus Hunter's Mark. Okay, okay, okay. You got him. <laughs> For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone.